Hi there, Scott Rockfile back with a podcast for you. I said I would do it. I posted it in my group on Facebook. Uh, give me some questions and I got two really good ones. So here we go. First question is from Walter Roland Hagen, a, a fraternity brother of mine and college friend of mine. Talk about your start at a small college radio station at a small university. Yeah. Um, this will be a chapter in a book, a book I will eventually write. Um, you got to remember the 1980s. I graduated high school in 1984. MTV was still a new thing. It was a pretty big deal. Um, I already had a lot of music knowledge. I was already a trumpet player. I was always a huge rock fan and pop fan. Um, so my idea was to go off to college and, and maybe be an MTV VJ. I sent my SAT scores to the University of Georgia, Auburn University, uh, Georgia Tech, I think were the three that I chose, and I was accepted to all three and didn't go to any of the three of them. Um, I went to Valdosta State, which was a college at the time. Now it's a university um, because my good friend Rich Jones had gone there for governor's honors and said I could immediately get on the radio station to the TV stations where if I went to Georgia State, Georgia Tech, Georgia University of Georgia or Auburn, there's a year or two waiting list to get on the radio and the TV stations. And I, I had an inkling that I wanted to do that, but I didn't really, you know, I was 17, 18 years old. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and so I took radio practicum, which is what it was called. It was a, I think it was a one hour course um, where you basically volunteered at the radio station. The only people that got paid were the program director and the music director. And they got a small stipend each month, really small, um, let them buy a few albums, I think, or a meal out. Um, well, the PD, I, I think, maybe got 100 bucks a month. The music director, 25 bucks a month. It was something like that. I don't know what it is today or now that it no longer exists. It's probably nothing. Anyway, I remember we had a few classes where we learned the basics. We had to fill out a form for FCC licenses at the time. That's nothing. That went away. Um, and I actually have two FCC licenses. I got one um, that's dated at the end of November. I think that may have been left at the radio station or at one of the radio stations I've worked at. We used to have to put that in a book or put it up on the wall. Um, and then we had to get a second one because the form changed or something. So two months later, I got one that was dated January of 1985, and that's the one I still have in storage somewhere. Um, and so I kind of considered that the beginning of my career. But I, I shadowed a few shows, and I did my first live air shift. I want to say before Christmas of 1984, I was, um, after kind of watching how everything was done, I was given a shift midnight to 2, midnight to 3. It was right after Mary Turner Off the Record, which was a show we used to run. And back in the day, um, we'd get the shows on vinyl. Literally, these these the King Biscuit Flower Hour, all those old shows, a lot of them came on vinyl or tapes. Um, so this was a vinyl show, and when it was over, I had to identify the radio station and get into music, and we had a format clock. Um, it was how I first learned about formats and stuff. That was interesting, um, and I'll talk a little bit about that. But the, the, the funny part of why I'm telling this, this opening story and my first shift, I queued up the wrong song, to make a long story short. Um, I don't know why I picked Ted Nugent's live album, <laughs> to pick, pull a song from in the the clock told you to what shelf to put we had shelves that had a certain number of albums on them the heavy and the current you know music those were very short shelves the classic shelves were very very long and there was a divider 
when you played something, you put the album behind the divider. And on each album, certain cuts were marked for play. The music That was the music director's job, was to listen to a new album when it came in and pick the songs that you would play. Now, granted, if it was a classic album like a Van Halen album, well, all the songs were marked. But if it was something new, something most of us weren't familiar with, then he'd have two, three, four, however many songs marked on that album, and you'd pick one of those. Then you'd put that album behind the slot, behind the divider, and nobody could play anything off that album until that divider came back around. It was a great time on your shift when you could move that divider all the way back to the beginning. Because like I said, if it's a current song, there was only eight albums in there or 10 albums or whatever. So those came around pretty quick. But the classic stuff, it would take several days to get through these shelves of older music. So anyway, my first song on the radio was going to be um, Wango Tango from Ted Nugent, right? That's fine. Live version, pretty fine. Um, but the song, I think, before it is Wango Tango which has an intro that the FCC would heartily frown upon because it's got some of the worst songs you can say on the radio. And so I queued up this song. I thought it was the right song. I waited for Mary to turn off the record. I came out of it, played the ID, played the song. My hotline starts ringing. Radio stations used to have hotlines. We don't have too many here these days because, well, everybody has a cell phone. I can get you even quicker. But the radio station used to have a hotline with a light on it. And if that light ever went off, it was the program director or the, you know, somebody important calling you to give you information, emergency, whatever. Well, it was the program director at midnight on a Saturday night going, do you realize what you're playing? And I said, yes, I did. <laughs> was that what you meant to play? No. Well, let's hope the FCC didn't hear it. Have a good rest of your show. Now, that's I've learned later in life, that's how a good program director reacts to things. Make sure that you're aware of what you've done, but doesn't get into it then because you have a shift to do. This was the very beginning of my very first shift. If he had laid into me for what I did, you know, uh, he would have thrown me off for the rest of the night. My first shift would have been horrible. But on the flip side, I had, oh, I must be okay. And I just kept going. And I tried even harder because of that. Now we had a talk later, you know, on Monday or whatever. And it's like, don't do that. You know, somebody complains to the FCC, then the FCC investigates. They could be fines. They could take away the license. There's a lot of things involved in radio that this course was teaching us very quickly because of that. So I worked at the college radio station for a couple of years. I worked up to that music director position. Um, I quickly moved up to an afternoon show. I did afternoons for a couple of years on that radio station. I remember the first summer I was doing afternoons, and the, the radio station is in the in the main building where the bookstore and everything was in a restaurant. And across from it was the big female dorm. <laughs> and when it would get warm, we had these giant windows. All the ladies would come out and lay their towels and blankets on the lawn in front of the radio station and tan when the sun was on that side of the building anyway. So that was always interesting. We learned to broadcast with sunglasses on. That was something I, I tell my new disc jockey still to this day. If you wear sunglasses, you people you think people can't see you and you're a little more free to talk and be you. So yeah, early disc jockeys, I used to tell them to wear sunglasses. For their first few shifts, it would make them feel less conspicuous. Even if they were in a closed room with no windows, you know, still it, it, it helps psychologically, which is a weird thing. So I enjoyed my time there. Um, I got to admit, I was pretty bad. I was not, but, you know, <laughs> um, I must have been good enough because eventually one of the one of the people who had worked and started almost at the same time I did at the college radio station got a job doing middays on the local Top 40 station. And she called me up one day and said, we're looking for a night guy. Are you interested? And I'm like, ah, corporate radio? I'm doing college rock and, you know, I play anything I want and, 
you want me to go do a playlist and work for a corporate entity? And it, it's a good thing I took the job because um, what was the call letters? It became WQPW for power, um, 96. But the LGA, WLGA were the first call letters. And when I got there and when I started, I was the night guy. At the time of Debbie Gibson and Tiffany, I was doing those countdown shows and all that stuff that you do for the teenagers at night on a pop station. Um, and then they did a 50,000-watt upgrade, and I got a real education in building a radio station, which, wow, that really served me later on. But anyway, my original couple of years at VVS Valdosta, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if I didn't do that, if I didn't fall in love with that. Because once I started doing radio... There really wasn't anything else that I really enjoyed. I'm playing music for people and they're appreciating it. I'm introducing people to new things they haven't heard and they're appreciating it. We do we did some public service and stuff and I got to see my first, you know, evidence that radio can change people's lives and do wonderful things. Looking back, it was the basics, but if you don't have that like having to teach some of my new part-timers now the basics of radio before they actually get on the air and stuff, they don't have that kind of experience that's slow. We tend to throw people into the deep end, show them how to run a ball game on a, on a Saturday night, and then boom, Sunday they're running one by themselves um, or doing an air shift or whatever. But things have changed quite a bit. But again, uh, having to do everything manually, we had turntables. We were the second radio station in the state of Georgia that had a CD player. I think uh, Georgia State, um, their radio station was the first one to get a CD player, or 96 Rock, I think. KLS in Atlanta, and then we were like the second one. And it was a, a home job. It was a you know something you bought at, at Kmart or uh, uh, Media Play. No, this was even before Media Play, I guess. Um, but anyway, it was just a, a plain old pioneer home unit. Didn't even have an auto start. So they set it up in the back of the room, and we had like a handful of CDs. The record label sent some, and we bought a few. Van Halen's 5150 was new at the time, you know, that kind of stuff. The CDs were just coming out in 1985 when I was on the college radio station. But the CD player was in the back of the studio. So you had a, a control board by the windows at the front with your microphone and your two turntables on the right and your reel-to-reels on your left, and all your albums were behind you and your singles and all that. And then on the shelf, kind of on the other side of the door behind you over your right shoulder was where the CD player was put because that's where the input was or where the engineer could run a line going under the board without running across places where you walked and stuff. And so if you were front selling a song, you know, here I am on VVS Valdosta and I'm talking about the radio station and what I'm going to play next. If the next song I was going to play was off CD, I had to identify the radio station, and then push myself from the board on my wheeled chair, which would slide me to the back side of the room, and I could hit manually my finger on the play button on the CD player because I would have track three, whatever, queued up on pause, and I would unpause it, and I would play. So there'd be a a half second of delay, and you'd hear the wheels (laughs) roll across the floor as I'd go to the back of the room and and hit that button. Um, You learn to, let, let me start, because we segged everything by hand. This was before any kind of automation systems. Now, when I started working at the local Top 40 station, we had an AM that was automated reel-to-reels, and that's a whole other story. But this station, this college station, you put up the fader to say how loud the song was. You started the song. You ended the song. You put the next song on. We were using vinyl at the time and a handful of CDs, and then the next place I worked was all CDs, and then it was CDs for a while, and then now we moved to WAV files, and everything's on a hard drive. 
But back in the day, the segs were done manually, and it was a big deal. We would pick out two tracks that would go together, like one had a long fade at the end and one had a long fade in at the beginning, and start it early and kind of sit there and let them just kind of do their thing. That was, that was art to us, doing a good segue. So those were the kind of things I learned because this was very, we didn't have a lot of tools at the time. It was the beginning of CD and digital era. I was still on the end of analog. We had a giant room in the back that just had hundreds of record albums that had since the radio station had begun at that college radio station. Um, I remember when I got a good turntable that, and a good cassette deck, I would take some of those albums and dub them the cassette, and it helped with my, my already vast music knowledge became more. But the experiences of doing radio for college and being part of the college and having people walk up to you and listen to you because they piped the radio station through like the building where the bookstore was and everything. And people would come in, oh, you're on the radio. And um, that was you later today. And you played that song by the cult, the She Sell Sanctuary or whatever. That was the biggest song that summer, 1985. Um, really good memories. And it, it really instilled in me the love of what I do today. What I do today is not that far removed from what we did then. We have better technology now. We know how to do it better. We know the psychology behind what we do, but had to have the basics. And I, colleges that still have radio stations, if you have any interest, if you're a young person, you're going off to college, um, do it, you know, learn. Try it and see if you like it. Some people fall in love with it. Some people hate it. Some people it's boring. For me, i don't really want to do anything else. I enjoy everything about radio, and it all came from working at WVVS Valdosta. So thank you, Walter, for that question. And there, I talked a little bit about that. Um, my buddy Scott Warner had a question, what do I think the greatest album of all time is? Well, I'm working on my 2023 best ofs and countdown kind of things over the weekend, so I'm already in that mindset. So he asked that question last night, and for him... It was The Wall or Queensryche Operation Mindcrime. Pink Floyd's The Wall and Operation Mindcrime, to me, are two sides of a similar coin. They're both concept albums that are deep, um, were difficult to make, you know, they have stories to tell, and they're amazing bodies of work. For me, I would agree that those are in my top five of al greatest albums of all time. But the one that stands a little bit above both of those is Dark Side of the Moon because it came out years before. They didn't have the technology, um, and it still stands up today. It sold more copies. Not that, that popularity is a sign of, of anything, really, artistic merit, but that stayed on the album charts longer than any other album ever. More people own more copies of that album than ever. I would call that one of the greatest albums of all time, and I probably go back to Dark Side more than I do um, the Wall, although for many, 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 many years, I said The Wall was a better album. But now far removed from both of them, honestly, I go listen to Animals more often than anything. But I don't think that's one of the greatest albums of all time. It's just one of my favorite Pink Floyd albums, or Wish You Were Here. Um, but for greatest album, it has to be artistic, has to have artistic merit. It also has to have some popularity to be the greatest album of all time. So Dark Side of the Moon is easily top of the list. It's, I have owned more copies of that. I would say Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell is one of the greatest albums of all time. It sold zillions of copies. It has great artistic merit. There's a lot of great work on that album. I've owned multiple copies of Dark Side of the Moon and Bad Out of Hell. I just got this year the Dolby Atmos version for Dark Side of the Moon's 50th anniversary or whatever. Sounds freaky. It 
For an album that was engineered in 1973 and has always sounded ahead of its time, it sounds even farther ahead of its time in this Dolby Atmos mix. If you have the capability, do it. Hard for me to say what the greatest album of all time is. I mean, I've been in the rock industry, so my tastes lean towards rock. I'm, I do program other types of formats, and I am fans of other kinds of music. Um, but of albums, the album experience, um, there's a few albums this past year that are going to go in my top albums of all time list. Um, Stephen Wilson's The Harmony Codex and Peter Gabriel's New I.O. Both of those albums are full album experiences. Like, I don't think the songs individually are that great, but I think the, the albums total are works of amazing art that take you on cinematic-like journeys with audio. Both have Atmos mixes, which help elevate the music, but regardless, I've listened to them both in stereo as well, and they've both been as good as any albums I've ever heard in my life. There are a lot of other albums I'll put up on that list as well. A lot. But for greatest album of all time, there's only a few that come out. Zeppelin Four is pretty far up there. Um, there's a few albums that are quintessential to people's, I don't want to say upbringing, but their, their DNA. You know, uh, Back in Black from ACDC to some people would be a quintessential greatest album of all time. Or Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Um, these are all fantastic albums of, of great bodies of work, but Boston's debut album, you know, there, there's a few what I consider greatest albums. But top of them all, as much as I love The Wall and Operation Mindcrime, I got to say that The Dark Side of the Moon is probably the greatest album of all time. It just stands above everything else from an artistic standpoint. I mean, the artwork was even, I mean, it's it's iconic. How many? How often does that happen? Um not that the artwork for the other two albums that we're talking about are not iconic, but there's nothing like Dark Side of the Moon. They're, literally, that was one of the greatest albums of all time. Um, you have an album that grandparents to kids can listen to. It's been redone and, and remastered so many times and now in full surround sound and Dolby Atmos and 5.1 and all that kind of stuff. It stands the test of time. It's a great album that anybody can listen to and go, that's a great album. Sure, it's got some saxophone in it, some other stuff, but that's what makes it progressive. It 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 really jumped outside of genre. And that's another thing that, to me, um, has to be in part of the greatest albums of all time. It doesn't really, it's hard to say ACDC Back in Black because it is so much a rock album. Where Dark Side of the Moon, you know, people who are into jazz can listen to that album. People that are listening to pop music can listen to that album. Sure, there's some rock and stuff on there, but... Overall, it's a variety, and it's the overall sound of the entire experience. Is The Wall a greater body of work? Maybe. I mean, it's a very personal story, and there's more music there. you know. But still, it's a, for a two-album set, it's a fairly short experience. It's about 80 minutes. We can fit it all almost on one CD these days. And Operation Mindcrime, as far as the heavy goes, they did something that hadn't been done before. They took the idea of something like The Wall, and for those that don't think about it this way, Queensryche and Fate's Warning are the two first progressive metal bands um, that took metal that was happening at the time, whether it be Iron Maiden or whatever, and then adding this more Pink Floydish, this more, uh, yes, longer songs, complicated things, themes, concept albums, that kind of thing. Uh, I give Fate's Warning and, and Queensryche equal credit. Queensryche became more popular. The Queensryche Operation Mindcrime arguably is their best album. There's the, You could take songs out of that one and their hits. Same thing with Dark Side of the Moon. You could take songs out of those albums and they stand on their own. Um, and as an album experience and telling a story, I think they're amazing. 
The Wall and, and Queensryche, while different sounding albums to me are both on the same shelf. They, they stand next to each other and they're right under um, Dark Side of the Moon. Dark Side of the Moon. I know most people say that, but it's quintessential. It's, it's, it's still to the 50 years later, it still sounds fresh. It still sounds, wow, it's, it's a different thing. But yeah, The Wall and Operation Mindcrime, way up there. So thank you for the questions. Sorry I talked for so long. This was a 20-minute podcast. What do you know? Um, there's a lot more coming, a lot more interviews, and my my podcast with uh, a cohort. I have a couple guys that I'm going to be working with. That's coming very soon, too, now that I've got Internet upgraded at my house and my home studio back up and running. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll do this again real soon because I have fun with the questions. You guys come up with things that I don't really like. Why would I talk about my first radio game? coming up this year I have a big anniversary so maybe <laughs> that's when it would have happened but I'm glad I got to do it now so thank you Walter and thank you Scott for the questions um, have a spectacular day and thank you for listening <laughs>